Hi there, and welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. Today's message is part of a series called Gems from Galatians. For more teaching on the book of Galatians, be sure to get a hold of Kevin's newly released commentary on this important letter written by the Apostle Paul. Kevin's new commentary is available in paperback format from Amazon, in ebook format for Kindle, and as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org forward slash shop. Uh, how many were not here last week? Uh, why? Uh, well, it's great to have you here tonight anyway. So uh, I said, what's that? You got an excuse? No excuse. We want reasons, not excuses. Um, okay, uh, if you were not here last week, there is a sheet from last week on our session one on Gems from Galatians, and I'd recommend that you listen to the tape, uh, because last week we uh, laid foundation on the whole of the epistle, and we don't want to sort of take time to review that tonight, really. Okay, so we're into session two tonight, I'd like you to um, turn to the epistle to the Galatians uh, again. So our series together is entitled Gems from Galatians. I think I mentioned last week that uh, my son-in-law, Frank Damasio, uh, and myself, when we were teaching different books of the Bible, we always used to try and come up with uh, different sort of little um, cliches. So we had emeralds from Hebrews and rushing through Romans and roaming through Revelation, and gems from Genesis, and jewels from John. Uh, we used to try and <laughs> get all these little <laughs> cliches for each book of the Bible. We didn't get them all, though. But uh, we're doing gems from Galatians. All right, I want you to uh, turn to chapter 1 again. And uh, just for the present, because we'll be picking up the verses uh, in a little while, um, We'll read from verses 1 through to uh, 10 for the present. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me unto the churches of Galatia. So we spent our time on that last night, the founding of, uh, foundation of the churches of Galatia, the province, and uh, a few scriptures from the book of Acts on that. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God our Father, uh, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. And in case you didn't get the point, uh, as we said before, I'd like to say it again. If any man preach any other gospel unto you than that you have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ." All right, now last week we particularly uh, dealt uh, with the foundation of the churches in Galatia and uh, Paul and the apostolic team moving out through the province there and uh, just some of the basic principles of the church. Before we continue tonight with the outline that you've got on your sheets there, uh, if you want to take this outline of the, of the epistle, I'll just put it on the, uh, on the overhead here. This is a uh, simple outline 
of the, uh, of the epistle, and we refer to this as the uh, Book of Christian Liberty. And uh, it simply lends itself into three major sections here. First of all, we have section one, and section one is personal, chapters one and two. Then the central part of the uh, epistle is chapters three and four, which has to do more with the doctrinal, which we'll be looking at in uh, several weeks' time on the whole area of covenantal confusion uh, and things that we talked about last week. And then uh, chapter 5 and 6 deals with more the practical side. So the book of Christian liberty, Galatians, the book of Christian liberty, dividing itself in its six chapters into two chapters personal, two chapters on the doctrinal, and uh, two, ch uh, two chapters on the practical side. Now, we're going to be looking at this section one tonight. Uh, number one, the gospel according to Paul dealt with particularly in chapter 1. Number 2, we won't be able to do that tonight, but the Gospel Apostles, uh, Peter and Paul, and uh, as we'll see in uh, another session here, the whole book of Acts is wrapped around these two apostles. Though it's the book of Acts are referred to as the Acts of the Apostles, uh, Acts chapter 1 through to 12 mainly deals with Peter's ministry, and Acts chapters 13 through to 28 mainly deals with Paul's ministry. So though it's called the Acts of the Apostles, there's two major apostles there. Peter, uh, the apostle to the Jews, or the circumcision, as it's referred to in Galatians, and Paul, the apostle to the uncircumcision, the apostle to the Gentiles. But we'll be majoring on this. Then uh, chapters 3 and 4, uh, here's my little toy here. Okay, chapters 3 and 4, the heart of the thing deals with the covenants and deals with the confusion that there is in the Galatian church over the Abrahamic covenant, Mosaic covenant, and New Covenant. Very exciting material in that chapter there. And then he, uh, we have this inspired allegory on the two covenant sons, which Paul speaks about Abraham's two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, and he said these two sons are two covenants. So that's the whole of the doctrinal section. And then in uh, chapters 5 and 6, uh, it gets more to the practical part, uh, whether walking after the flesh and the works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit, or sowing to the flesh uh, or sowing to the Spirit, uh, the principle of uh, we reap what we sow. Nothing else, nothing less, but more than what we sow. So what we want to look tonight at is the gospel according to Paul. Now, on the uh, two sheets that you've uh, received tonight... I'll just put an outline uh, of what we're going to try and cover in tonight's session, and uh, at the end we'll just sort of open it if we have any questions on what we're covering. Okay, now under section A will be pretty uh, systematic here. So our whole theme tonight is the gospel according to Paul. Now, those of you who have the sheet from last week on the outline, uh, how many have got it with them? Anybody bring it along? Okay, what's one of the key words? One of the key words was gospel, and how many times is the word gospel used? You've got it on there. Okay, 12. All right, now under section A, I want you just to look at the references to this word gospel. And uh, as we said last week, Paul is pretty vehement, uh, so to speak, when, you know, he, he pronounces a curse on anybody that preaches any other gospel than what he preached and what the uh, Galatian uh, churches received. All right, so let's look at these references here. Galatians chapter 1, and if you haven't marked your Bible, I always recommend people to mark the Bible and mark this key word. This is a key word here, Galatians uh, epistle, uh, uh, the word gospel used 12 times, and I've marked every reference to it in the Galatian epistle. All right, Galatians 1 and verse 6. 
I marvel that you were so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. We'll be looking at that in a while. Another gospel. And then in verse 7, he says, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So another gospel or perverting the gospel of Christ. Verse 8, next reference. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. So very strong language. So what is, what is Paul so vehement about the gospel? What, what was the gospel according to Paul? All right, verse 9. As we have said before, I'm saying it again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than which you receive. So in verse 8, it's the gospel which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed if anybody preaches any other gospel. Verse 9, the gospel which you have received. And if anybody preach any other gospel than the gospel you receive, we preached it in verse 8, verse 9, you received it, let him be accursed. And then go down to verse 11. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men. Okay, so what was the gospel that Paul preached? Let's go over to chapter 2. And verse 2, the next reference to the word gospel, as I said, recommend that you underline every reference to the word gospel in this uh, amazing short epistle. All right, Galatians 2, verse 2, And I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach. Let me throw the question into your mind. Well, you know, what about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? We've got four gospels. Who does Paul think he is? Is he making up another gospel? What's he so vehement about? You know, we've got four gospels. Is Paul preaching another one? That's what we want to look at. All right, chapter 2, verse 5. To whom we gave uh, place by subjection, no, not for now, that the truth of the gospel might continue with, uh, continue with you. Know the truth that sets you free. Chapter 2, verse 7. And here he makes a distinction which leads uh, eventually to Paul and uh, Peter and Paul, but contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel the of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was to Peter, so we have this uh, issue between Peter and Paul, which is a whole session itself, all right, the gospel of the uncircumcision and the gospel of the, uns uh, of the circumcision. Then go down to verse uh, 14. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live us after the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Gen Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? So, you know, Paul is uh, really uh, confronting Peter very, very strongly uh, down on Antioch. And remember, Paul comes out of Antioch. Uh, chapter 3 and verse 8 is an interesting thing we'll look at in a little while here. And uh, the next reference to the gospel. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee or in you shall all the nations be blessed. So the gospel preached to Abraham. And then the final reference to the word gospel is chapter 4 and verse 13. Chapter 4 and verse 13. 
You know that how through infirmity of the, of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you uh, at the first. So the last reference to the word gospel. So the word gospel is used 12 times in the epistle and it's one of the key words there. Let me just read off my note here. The word gospel, uh, I won't try to pronounce the Greek word. Uh, you know, it's pretty heavy. Pro you agalizomai. Anyone can say Greek better than that? Go to it. But it's simply, you might like to take this definition down. The word gospel simply means to announce glad news in advance. To, uh, to announce glad news in advance. Uh, and another very similar one is to announce good news. So to announce glad news in advance, uh, that's, that's particularly where the gospel was preached before to Abraham, to announce glad news in advance, or the word euaglizo uh, 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 simply means to announce good news, good news, good tidings. So uh, it's, uh, the Greek word, from that Greek word, we get the word evangelist, evangelized, so the gospel is the evangel. So I'll just say those definitions again to announce glad news in advance, that's on the Galatians 3.8, or to announce good news or to announce glad tidings. So good news, glad tidings, and uh, from that Greek word we get the word uh, evangelist. Uh, in, uh, on your notes there, uh, under glad tidings, let's look at uh, some Old Testament scriptures which are the equivalent to the word gospel, good news, glad tidings, particularly in the, in the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 9, Isaiah 40 and verse 9. Uh, this is uh, in old King James here I'm reading from, uh, Isaiah chapter 40 and verse uh, 9, it says, O Zion that bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain, O Jerusalem that brings good tidings, lift up your voice with strength, lift it up, be not afraid, say unto the cities of Judah, behold your God. A messianic prophecy uh, pointing to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to Jerusalem, and uh, where the cities of Judah would say, behold your God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Chapter 41 and verse 27 uh, is another reference to the word uh, um, good tidings. And here it's personified really in the Lord Jesus Christ. 40, uh, Isaiah 41 verse 27, The first shall say to Zion, Behold them, and I will give to Jerusalem one that brings good tidings. Prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. The one that the Father gave to Jerusalem who brought good tidings was the Lord Jesus Christ. When he said, Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the gospel to the poor, he's the one that was given to Jerusalem uh, to uh, bring good tidings. The tragedy is Jerusalem rejected him and crucified him. Isaiah 52 and verse 7. There's uh, another couple of references from Isaiah. Isaiah particularly is the one that speaks of good tidings. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good, that publishes salvation, that says unto Zion, Thy God reigns. So how beautiful the feet of him that brings good tidings. Isaiah chapter 61, and it's interesting that uh, when Jesus began his ministry and, and began to preach the gospel of the kingdom, this is the verse that he began in the synagogue with. And it's sort of an Old Testament summary of what the good tidings would be that Jesus would bring. So Isaiah 61, and uh, 
verses 1 to 2a. So when Jesus goes into the synagogue, which I've got on, on your, on your uh, notes somewhere there, uh, they hand him the, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and he opens up to Isaiah 61, and significantly reads verse 1 to 2a only. He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. By the way, there we have a revelation of the Godhead. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit of the Lord God, the Father, is upon me, the Son. So even the Old Testament foreshadowed uh, the Trinity or the triunity of God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because... The Lord has anointed me, and we have six things here to note. Number one, to preach good tidings, to preach the gospel unto the meek, to the poor. Number two, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. The, uh, I think the new one says, bind up the brokenhearted, heal the brokenhearted. Uh, number three, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Number four, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Number five, there's five here, it's, I think it's six in Luke. To proclaim, uh, yes, Luke adds the other one, to open the eyes of the blind. And number five here, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, which was the year of Jubilee. Uh, just a little uh, thought in passing. It's interesting that when Jesus read the prophet Isaiah, he did not read the last part of verse two as we have it, and the day of vengeance. He closed the book and sat down. And prophetically, when you come to the book of Revelation and uh, John sees the seven-sealed book in the hand of him that sat upon the throne and Jesus the Lamb takes the book out of the Father's hand uh, prophetically, he continues reading where he stopped reading here because in his first coming, his first coming was a time of glad tidings, good news, the gospel. It was not a time of vengeance. But in the book of Revelation, which is the book of his second coming, uh, it opens up, will you not avenge our blood and the day of his wrath is come and vengeance. So it's significant that Jesus just read to that clause to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, didn't finish the verse because there was no vengeance in his heart the first, uh, first coming. It was a time of good tidings and peace. How many think that's good news? Uh, because the gospel not only is good news, it also has some bad news. It's bad news for those who reject it. It's good news to those who accept it because the gospel also includes uh, hell. That's bad news. It's good news for us who accept Christ and escape from it. How many think that is good news? Amen. All right, so the gospel, good news, good tidings. Now let's go to section B here, Paul's burden. And uh, you notice Paul's burden here. Let's, uh, let's uh, see what he says on here. And as I said last week, Paul is pretty uh, vehement about this because uh, the, the, the Lord committed to him a, the gospel... In fact, the, uh, the old pronunciation spelling of gospel was Godspell, which is a good spell. So Godspell, good spell, good news, glad tidings. And uh, even the word gossip uh, originally has Godsip, and it is to talk about God. And uh, in the early church, the thought was, you gossip the gospel. But now, to gossip is a bad word. 
How many know people turn words, good words into bad words? But it's the thought we are to gossip the gospel. Yeah, have you ever received Christ as your Savior? Yeah, you know, I, I was just a messed up in my life, and Jesus came into my life. Just gossip the gospel. You don't have to preach at him or teach him. I'm doing that tonight. But when you share, you know, gossip the gospel. That's the whole thought of God, God's spell, gospel, and gossip, gossip. Okay, back to chapter one. Uh, on your notes here, I've got number one, a perverted gospel, and number two, a cursed gospeler, and number three, the true gospel. So in verse uh, one through to, uh, or verse six to eight, as we read before, you, you remove from the grace of Christ in another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you would pervert the gospel of Christ. Uh, the word pervert is an interesting word here. It actually means to turn quite around or to reverse or to distort. So Paul is using uh, another Greek word, metastrepho, there to, to, uh, to turn quite around or to reverse the gospel. So it's a perverted gospel. They have perverted, they have twisted, they have distorted the gospel. And uh, uh, the, the other Greek word it comes from is to change it into another form. And as we saw last week, the Judaizers, who have been uh, Paul's harassment everywhere he's went, they taught that sinners were saved by faith in Christ, plus the keeping of the works of the Mosaic Law, especially as we saw last week, uh, the Sabbath, circumcision, uh, Sabbath months and years, Sabbath days, meats and drinks, new moons, and that they had to do all the works of the ceremonial law in order to be saved. So it was Christ plus Moses. And so Paul says, you've perverted, you've twisted the gospel, you've distorted it. And uh, we've already alluded to that. He pronounces a curse on any gospel. And now, uh, you know, I want to be careful because this is on, on tape. But um, what do we do with uh, good brothers and sisters that uh, are in the Seventh-day Adventist church? Uh, in, uh, we haven't got them here in Australia. When I was in America for 10 years, uh, we have a big movement over there called the Seventh-day Pentecostal Church. So, as I mentioned, you know, the Seventh-day Pentecostal Church, Seventh-day Adventist Church, are typically a Galatian church. And Paul is very strong when we get to that. Uh, Who hath bewitched you, O foolish Galatians? So the, the whole thought of bewitching is someone has, like, like the serpent, enchanted you, beguiled you. So who's bewitched you? And so I told you about the brother, and it was a beautiful brother. He's dead and knows better now, but uh, uh, he was in the Seventh-day Pentecostal church and uh, ministered one time there. And a beautiful brother, but he kept Saturday and Sunday just to make sure. He was so scared. So, you know, the whole issue is we're going to get to in due time is covenantal confusion. So it's Christ in one hand and Moses in the other. Keeping Saturday, the Sabbath of the Mosaic Covenant and keeping Sunday, the first day of the week of the New Covenant. So the whole thing is covenantal confusion. We'll, we'll, we'll deal with that a bit tonight. Okay, so perverted gospel and Paul pronounces a curse on the Judaizers who are just harassing the Gentile believers. And then uh, Paul gets into the gospel that he preached. Now, you'll notice in, um, in verse, go down to verse 11, uh, but I certify you, but he's not certifying you for the, 
insane asylum, anything like that. Uh, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men. And you'll notice how Paul breaks this down here, pretty strong here. He says, um, uh, for I, n- I neither received it of man... So he didn't receive the man. Peter, James, and John, none of the twelve gave Paul the gospel that we're, going to, we're looking at in due time here. So uh, I didn't receive it of man, and I wasn't taught it. Nobody taught me this gospel. And, uh, but he said, I received it by revelation of Jesus Christ. So what was the revelation that Paul, uh, that Paul received of the Lord? Uh, Jesus Christ gave him a revelation of the gospel. So what's the difference between what Paul is saying, as we'll see, uh, between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and and John, the four Gospels? Do we need another Gospel? Is Paul contradicting the four Gospels? What's going on here? So he's pretty strong uh, to use this word Gospel 12 times. So he says in verse 13, For you've heard of my conversation or my former conduct, you King James says, in time past in Judaism or the Jews' religion, Judaism, the uh, new, new King James, Uh, And I advanced in Judaism, and just to say it again, how many are glad that Christianity is not a religion? Christianity is a person. And I mean, Karl Marx, uh, he was probably true on that. He said, religion is the the opiate of the people. And religion is. But we're not into religion. Paul says, when I was in the Jews' religion... Well, Jesus Christ brought him out of the Jews' religion and brought him in, into Christ. So we're in Christ tonight. We're not into religion. What religion do you belong to? None. I belong to a person. Amen. How many can say amen? We belong to Jesus, a person. So he's pretty strong. I didn't receive it of men. Uh, I wasn't taught it of men. I didn't learn it from others. I wasn't taught by the twelve apostles. I didn't learn it by reading, but I received a revelation of, uh, by, by Jesus Christ. All right, let's uh, move on to the next several scriptures here. Under C, the gospel according to Paul. All right, so the gospel keyword in the epistle, Paul's burden that the Judaizers have perverted, twisted the gospel, twisted it around, and he puts a curse and anathema on those false gospelers, the Judaizers, and he says, I receive the true gospel. Now, this is an expression I've read over the years and, uh, you know, never knew what Paul was saying until I put some study into it. So let's look at these several scriptures here and the difference between what Paul says, my gospel and another gospel. So I'd like you to look at these uh, scriptures that are not often preached on or uh, read. Romans chapter 2 and verse, seven to, uh, six, uh, verse 16. Romans 2 and verse 16. All right, uh, I'll just read that because uh, of our time here. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. My gospel. Oh, Paul, what's your gospel? Chapter 16, the last chapter of the same epistle, and verse 25 where he repeats it again. Uh, all right, uh, Romans 16, verse 25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel 
and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. But my gospel is able to establish you according to my gospel. And one other reference where Paul, so in the mouth of two or three witnessing scriptures shall every word be established, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 8, and Paul's writing to his son in the faith here, Timothy, just before he's going to be beheaded in Rome. So chapter 2 and verse 8. And he says to uh, Timothy, his son in the faith, Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. No, according to my gospel. So what's Paul saying? My gospel, my gospel. Turn over to this uh, one on the negative side because he's already said to the to Galatian church, another gospel, if anybody preaches unto you another gospel. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11 refers to the same thought, another gospel, another gospel, which is not really another gospel because there's only one gospel as far as Paul is concerned. All right, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 11. I like to hear the rustling of the leaves down there. Um, yeah, verse, uh, I'd like to read verse 2 to 4 just in context here. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And uh, if you haven't underlined verse 4, the three another's, I recommend you do. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if he receive another spirit, which you have not received, or another gospel, which you have not accepted, you might bear, well bear with him. So three another's there, another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. And I, I think I was sharing somewhere recently that uh, when I was in the, uh, in the States having to deal with some of these things, a whole, uh, a whole group had come out of the uh, hippie movement or Jesus people. I mean, they had another Jesus. It was not the Jesus of the Bible. So they were, they were telling me and uh, uh, I had to preach repentance in a group. Uh, they were living by faith uh, on our taxes. Um, and people would bring them bread. And so some of them were teaching that Jesus was a homosexual and that John, when he leant on the bosom of Jesus, they were loving up. Uh, they also taught that Jesus had two wives, uh, Martha and Mary were his favorite women, and they had a whole thing. Uh, and so they, they, they were Christians, and as David Wilkerson said, you know, use a bad expression, they added Jesus to their bag and still kept living in sin, smoking, drinking, swearing, uh, shooting up drugs, and the whole business. Oh, we're Christians. Huh? Says, so, hey, that's not, that's not my Jesus. My Jesus hates sin. He's a holy Jesus. So they, they preached another Jesus. They used scriptures in the Bible when God uh, created grass. In Genesis 1, it was marijuana. And when he created the beast of the field, horse, heroin. See, so they were writing another Bible. 
another spirit. And I said, well, what spirit? Oh, well, we speak in tongues. Uh, so it's another spirit. How many know that the devil can counterfeit speaking tongues too? Another gospel. All right, so Paul's gospel, another gospel. Okay, now under D, what I'd like to do here is just sort of give you an overview uh, from Galatians and uh, then weave in the gospels here. Uh, so sort of trying to find an answer to what is the gospel according to Paul. All right, if you're taking down extra notes, I recommend you uh, do what uh, Kevin Connors known around the world for, a famous timeline. How many know my famous timelines? All right, so like this, that's supposed to be a straight line. And what else do we always have here? Okay, we've always got to have the cross. Uh, I think I've done that, yes. Okay, now, in the biblical overview of the gospel here, you'll notice I've broken up into three sections on your notes there. First of all, the gospel prophetically. Then number two, the gospel historically. And then some sub-points under that. And then on page two, the gospel theologically. Okay? So maybe you'd like to just to put that on the, on the diagram here. So the gospel prophetically. So in the Old Testament, we find that the gospel was prophesied, uh, is seen there prophetically, particularly in the law and the Psalms and the prophets. Jesus uh, talking to the two on the road to Emmaus broke the Old Testament up into that, in the law, the Psalms and the prophets. So prophetically, the gospel prophetically. And then when we come to, oh, let's see, I should have this here, probably not that side. Uh, in uh, section two here, we have the gospel historically, and we see this in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So the four gospels are referred to, four gospels, so the gospel historically, and then when we come to the final section, and this is what we, we want, uh, want to sort of get into Paul's mind here, why he says, my gospel, my gospel, uh, we'll put here, uh, so you can put the four gospels there, uh, yeah, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels, and then over here in this section, put the epistles, particularly the Pauline epistles. And under this, I want to use this word, and if the word theologically is too big, just put doctrinally. It's the same thing. Okay? So just having an overview of the gospel to help us answer this question. So the gospel prophetically, the gospel historically, and the gospel theologically under Paul. I want you to go back to the Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. Galatians chapter 3, and uh, verse 8, I'm sorry, Galatians 3. And verse 8. How you all doing out there? Everybody okay? Not going too fast? I was born in a hurry, remember? Okay, Galatians chapter 3, and a very uh, beautiful verse here. Uh, we'll read from verse 6 uh, through to 9 to get the, just the immediate context here. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture 
foreseeing or seeing beforehand that God would justify the heathen, not through works, but through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee, or in you, shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Now remember the Judaizers always boasting when Jesus, John the Baptist, oh, Abraham is our father. And uh, Jesus said, uh, in fact, uh, Jesus, you can see why Jesus never got his credentials then because um, in John chapter, it gets pretty, pretty foisty there. They said, Abraham's our father, but where's your father? We're not born of fornication. Uh, in other words, like you were, a slur against the virgin birth. Where's your father? And Jesus said, look, if you, if you knew me, you'd know my father. But you don't know my father you, because you don't know my father, you know. Oh, they said, Abraham's our father. And uh, Jesus said, look, I know Abraham's your father, but if Abraham was your father, you'd believe me. Now, what's he talking about? Abraham is your father after the flesh. But if Abraham was your father after the spirit, you would believe me. Because before Abraham was, I am. And then they said, well, we're not born of fornication, like you are, so you're your fatherless child, illegitimate. And so Jesus said, well, I've been trying to handle it carefully. He turned around and said, you are your father the devil. And he lost his credentials right there. How many think Jesus should have read that book, How to Win Jews and Influence Pharisees in Five Easy Lessons? <laughs> Okay, so, you know, you, you think of this. If I put the scriptures down there, yes, the gospel prophetically. Way back here, uh, when God spoke to Abraham in the book of Genesis. So, Paul is going way back to the book of Genesis. And Genesis, I've put some scriptures there. And uh, the, that scripture is, uh, or that prophecy, so we're looking at the gospel prophetically. It's uh, used at least three times to Abraham in your seed. Shall all families of the earth be blessed? Uh, all nations will be blessed in you and in your seed. It's confirmed to Isaac. It's confirmed to Jacob. Now, I want you to turn... Well, you, uh, you should know the Bible off by heart, shouldn't you? Why, uh, why don't you sort of... Um, how, how, how many have heard preaching on Abraham and, and uh, Isaac? Let me just show you something here, because I'm asked this question... Uh, the scriptures seeing beforehand that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel, announced the glad tidings beforehand. That's the Greek, uh, Greek thought, the word there that's in a phrase. Preached before the gospel to Abraham. And, uh, his, you know, when, when, when was the gospel preached to him? His, his, to me, is one of the most remarkable things. Genesis chapter tw 22, you can put the, well, the chapters down there. Here we have Abraham, the father, and Abraham, the father, as you know, he has Isaac and OBS, which is only begotten son. Abraham, the father, Isaac, the only begotten son. And remember, there are only two only begotten sons in Scripture. Isaac, the only begotten son of the Old Testament. Jesus, the only begotten son of the New Testament. And God the Father said to Abraham the Father, you can ask him when you see him, Abraham, you're a father 
and you have an only begotten son. I'm a father, I have an only begotten son. And something I use uh, in hermeneutics a bit. All through the Old Testament, God got men to do typically what he himself was going to fulfill actually. Now that's a really important key. So all through the Old Testament, God got men to do typically what he himself was going to fulfill actually. So God's, it's like this. God the Father said to Abraham, you're a father, you have an only begotten son. I'm a father, I have an only begotten son. I want you to take your only begotten son, listen to it, three days journey. Not two days, not four days, three days. Why? Because I have in mind three days and three nights of Calvary. So, Abraham takes his only begotten son Isaac, three days journey, to a special mount, Mount Moriah, which is going to point to Mount Calvary. And he says, offering for a burnt offering, I was going to put uh, B-O there, but I won't, uh, burnt offering, okay, just in case you think what you did, uh, a burnt offering, and when Abraham went up there, there were two young men there, and he said to the two young men, I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again. And uh, I don't know if I put it on your scripture. I don't think I did. Put, it there, put down Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. Hebrews 11, verse 17 to 19. And the writer to the Hebrews says that Abraham offered up his only begotten son Isaac as a sacrifice in type. In a figure, the Greek word there for figure is tupas, type, from where he received him from the dead. So Isaac typically experienced death and resurrection after three days' journey and went back to, the, back to his father. So I don't, don't know if this is on your sheet either. John 8.56, have you ever wondered about that verse? John 8, 56, where they said to Jesus, hey, you're not even 50 years old, so how can you say, I've seen Abraham? And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And then he said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. Now, when did Abraham see his day? Right here. Because this is, this is how I understand that Abraham said, wow. I'm a father, I'm offering my only begotten son, three days journey, in type, he's dead and resurrected, and now on the basis of death and resurrection, the promise comes, in your seed, all nations, everybody say all, not just the nation of Israel, the Jewish nation, the Hebrew nation, all nations. Go into the, the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. How many know that was the gospel? Don't you think that's a fan, fantastic picture or is it just me? Okay, yeah. So, the scripture foreseeing beforehand that God would justify the heathen through faith preached before the gospel so this was the gospel to Abraham, saying, in your seed all nations will be blessed. And the master promise was given on the basis of three days journey, a typically dead, resurrected, only begotten son, and it pointed to the cross. 
Abraham rejoiced to see my day. That was the gospel. Now on the, on the sheet there I put, you can go through so many things here. You could take the whole of the tabernacle of Moses, you know, the sacrifice of Abel, the feast of Israel, the uh, Aaronic priesthood, all the things that God to, gave to Israel. They were foreshadowings the gospel prophetically because they all pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. So the gospel there, that was the gospel. Cain and Abel had the gospel from Adam and Eve. Cain rejected the gospel. Abel accepted it. The blood of the Lamb. That was the gospel. Gospel, how many can say amen? All right, now let's go to the next bit here as time keeps moving on. So the tabernacle of the Lord, the Mosaic covenant, the priesthood, sacrifice, everything was prophetically pointing to the gospel, foretold, foreshadowing. All right, number two here, the gospel historically, I'll read off the notes here, in Christ, his life. The gospel now is personified in Christ and set forth historically in the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in those scriptures here, uh, just turn to one of them, uh, Matthew chapter 24, uh, no, let's go to two of them. Matthew 9, 36. Gospel personified. But it's, uh, the gospel as Jesus preached is sort of summarized in uh, three words. Matthew chapter 9 and uh, verse 36. Uh, 35, I'm sorry. Matthew, uh, correct the, uh, the typewriter made a mistake there. Uh, it should be Matthew 9:35. You don't think I was going to take the blame for that, do you? Uh, rushing to do that tonight. All right, verse 35. Three words I've underlined in my Bible. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, the gospel, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. That was the gospel. That was the gospel of the kingdom, teaching, preaching, healing. Teaching, preaching, healing. How many continue to agree that we have a lot of teaching, we have a lot of preaching, but we'd like to see a lot more healing? How many can say amen? I'm saying a hearty amen to that. All right, Matthew 24 and verse 14. And uh, this is one of the reasons why Jesus will not come back tonight. I'll see you on the weekend. Uh... Matthew 24, verse 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations, and then, and not until then, shall the end come. See, in thy seed all nations we be blessed. How? Through the gospel. And this gospel of the kingdom we preach, and I've mentioned this before, there's still 1,500 tongues that have never heard the name of Jesus and haven't even got one verse of Scripture in their language yet. And yet out of every kindred, tongue, tribe, and nation, there's to be some fruit for the death of the Lamb. Take you, Kevin. That's a good point. Okay? The gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom of God. All right, B. So the gospel historically in the cross, physically. Turn over to Galatians and... Uh, when we sort of uh, bring, uh, bring this to a wrap-up tonight, you'll see why... I, I believe it helps us to understand why Paul says. Uh, the, the, the word cross in Galatians, Galatians 5 and verse 11. So when Jesus died on the cross, Jesus is fulfilling 
all of this and uh, something else I'll put on the overhead. So he's fulfilling all this. He's fulfilling Abel's offering. He's fulfilling uh, Isaac's offering. He's fulfilling the tabernacle of Moses, the Levitical offerings, the Aaronic priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, the sacrifice of the red heifer, uh, the the priesthood. He's, he's, He's fulfilling all that. He said, I came to fulfill. So in the gospel, historically personified in him, he's the gospel personified. And so everything points to the cross. So Galatians 5 and verse 11. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, which you Judaize as a teaching, why do I yet suffer persecution? If I would just preach circumcision along with Christ, I wouldn't get the persecution. Then is the offense of the cross ceased. There is an offense to the cross. The cross wasn't a little ornament you wore around your neck in those days. You didn't hang it on you. You hung on it. Uh, Galatians chapter 6 and verse 12. As many as desire to make a good show, showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. Oh, I got some... Oh, I never nearly said something. Uh, I got a lot of Gentiles circumcised. Glory, hallelujah. Well, were they saved? Or did you just go through an external rite of the law that was abolished at the cross when Jesus Christ was cut off. Because the cross was the circumcision of Jesus Christ. His body was broken. His blood was shed. He was cut off out of the land of the living. And all that was foreshadowed in circumcision is fulfilled in the cross. Look what Paul says, verse 14. But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And we can say amen. So in the physical death, burial, and resurrection of the cross uh, of Christ, that's all part of the gospel, then under B, covenantally. Now, um, this, this to me is probably the most important thing because the Judaizing teachers, as we've seen, are harassing uh, Paul everywhere he goes. Uh, I'd like you to take this down. Henry would like a copy of this. Say please. please. Oh, such unity here. It's just, oh, what happened? It blew. Can you believe that? It's what they call Kevy's Heavy Rebbies. And it's blown. I don't know if there's a, another one here. No, both, both globes have gone. All right. You can't see that. But, uh, hmm, what do I do now? <laughs> Let there be light. Okay, on, that, on the diagram, what you'll find is that uh, in the Old Testament, we have all these things like uh, circumcision, okay? Circumcision was the sign and seal of the Abrahamic covenant. So they say, okay, well, if you if you Abraham's seed, you've got to get circumcised, okay? And then we have things like this, uh, natural Israel after the flesh, 
Uh, we have the material temple. We'll get this on the sheet here. Uh, you have the Aaronic priesthood and the Levitical priesthood. You have the uh, uh, animal sacrifices and oblation here. Uh, you have incense and nonsense and bells and smells. Uh, how do you spell incense? Anyway, this thing can't spell either. Um, you have the Ten Commandments on tables of stone. And then you have the Sabbath days and the Sabbath months and the Sabbath years. And then you have the everything centers around the city of Jerusalem. So all these things here, what happened to them at the cross? See, I believe just as, 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 as then, so we need today, Paul wanted to give them a revelation of what happened at the cross because know the, know the truth, it sets you free. So what happened to circumcision at the cross? Was it fulfilled and abolished? And we would say amen. All right. What happened to natural Israel? Is it the natural Israel the most important thing or spiritual Israel? Huh? What happened to the material temple at the cross? When Jesus died on the cross, the priest was over there offering the blood of the sacrifice and God just rent the veil of the temple from top, top to bottom and said to the ironic priesthood, boys, you're out of a job. And rent the veil. And the tragedy is, history tells us that the Jews sewed up the veil to hide it from the people and carried on this whole system till A.D. 70 when God allowed the Roman armies under Prince Titus to smash the whole abominable system. What happened to the Aaronic priesthood and Levitical? Is that still in vogue today? What priesthood are we under today? Melchizedek priesthood. Anybody heard of Melchizedek? Yes. Are you breathing out there? Am I talking to the right people? Okay, what happened to animal sacrifices? All right, so are we going to have animal sacrifices restored in the millennial kingdom? You see how that's all an abomination? What about incense, nonsense, bells and smells? Why do churches today or buildings still have the incense floating around? Did you know Isaiah said incense is an abomination to me? What about the... I can't understand that. What about Sabbath days? Should we still be keeping the Sabbath? One dear brother in the Seventh-day Adventist church told me, Kevin, you'll get the mark of the beast because you don't keep the Sabbath. What about earthly Jerusalem? Or are we looking for heavenly Jerusalem? You see, if we understand all these things, what happened to them at the cross? Now, what are the Judaizing teachers doing? This is the whole problem in the Galatian epistle. They're going around all the churches that Paul has founded, churches in Galatia, Corinth, everywhere Paul went. They just harassed him, and they're trying to get the Gentiles. You've got to be circumcised. Abraham was circumcised. If you're Abraham, said, so you've got to be circumcised. Uh, you've got to... You've got to uh, keep the Sabbath days. You're not to eat pork in a Jewish synagogue. You've got to go to Jerusalem. You've got to keep the feast. See? And they're trying to put some of these things back on. So it's Christ plus Moses. The law plus grace. It's works plus faith. It's old covenant plus new covenant. Syncretistic. 
And Paul's saying, hey, know the truth that sets you free. I glory in the cross because Paul is saying, I've had a revelation of what happened at the cross. And if you know that, it'll set you free. That's the gospel. Now, for our last few moments. All right, so under C here, in the four gospels, historically, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John present the historical facts of the Christ on, his, on, on the earth in his earthly ministry. All right, let's go to page two for our last few moments here. So the gospel theologically. Uh, now, under here, I want you to listen carefully because when Paul talks about my gospel, and this is the, the sort of the punchline of this tonight, he's not contradicting anything in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, they present, let's turn to a scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is not on your notes, 2 Corinthians 5. Second Corinthians chapter 5. No, the other way. Glory to God. Okay, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, by law of opposites here, this is an interesting verse here. Uh, and verse, verse 14, okay, verse 14. And just while you're finding that, that's what you'll be getting. So just to repeat that little bit there. So circumcision, national Israel, trees, what about the fig tree and all that business, olive tree, uh, the material temple, the Aaronic and Levitical priesthood, ministry of incense, the sacrifice and oblation, feast of the Lord, what about Passover and Pentecost? Do we need to go to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles? with unconverted Jews when they rejected the blood of Christ? What about the Canaan land? Does it belong to the Jews or the Arabs? What about the kingdom? Is it a materialistic, nationalistic, Davidic kingdom? What about the Ten Commandments? What about the Sabbaths? What about earthly Jerusalem? All Paul's epistles, except on the trees, are dealing with these things. They were all Old Testament, all covenant, but you've got to pass it through the cross. May I say this hermeneutically? You do not use the Old Testament to interpret the New Testament. You use the New Testament to interpret the Old Testament, but pass everything through the cross. The cross is what we call the hermeneutical filter. So anything I study, if I, the only reason I study the Old Testament is bring it to the cross. Was it fulfilled and abolished at the cross? If it was, God forbid that I should glory. Not in circumcision and all these old Mosaic covenant things, but I glory in the cross. How many can say amen tonight? So that's what I'm talking about. Okay, now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, we'll read verse 14 to lead... Uh, into verse 17. For, for the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. And this is the verse I want you to pick up a clause in. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. 
Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. Not that expression there, the Christ after the flesh. Historically, when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote their Gospels, you know what they are presenting to us? The Christ after the flesh. They knew Christ in His earthly ministry, His earth walk. Paul is not presenting to us the Christ after the flesh, but the heavenly Christ, the Christ after the Spirit, not the earthly Christ. Okay? So, the four Gospels present the Christ after the flesh. Paul is presenting the Christ after the Spirit. Now, as I said before, Paul is not contradicting anything that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and uh, John say. He's not contradicting it. Let me just uh, have you turn to the Scripture on your note there. 1 Corinthians 15, and you've got four fill-ins here. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All right, 1 Corinthians 15, and on the notes there I put verses 1 to 8, and um, again, if you haven't marked your Bible, depends what translation you're into, I've underlined all the that's that are here, and I've put four that's there for you. Okay, listen to verse 15, and you'll notice on your notes here, Paul's gospel historically, and then under B, Paul's gospel theologically. Okay, so Paul's gospel historically, I want you to pick up four major that's. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. Now, whether he's writing to the Corinthian church or the Galatian church, churches that he founded, it's the gospel, the gospel according to Paul. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you were saved, if... You keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I received. You'll notice Paul often says that. I've delivered unto you that which I have received of the Lord, I've delivered unto you. So uh, as a good steward, he received it, he delivered it. I receive it, I deliver it. For I've delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How? Number one, that Christ died. For our sins, according to the Scriptures. Okay, so you fill in there that Christ died. The first fact is that Christ died. And in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, did you know that there are more uh, verses, not chapters, but more verses in those chapters in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John given to the crucifixion of Christ than His total life and ministry? Because we are first saved by His death not by his life. In fact, Christ's perfect life condemns us. It's his death that saves us. And then after we are saved by his death, we are saved by his saving life. Meiji and Thomas, excellent book on that. I think that's worth a hallelujah, don't you? Eh? All right, continue. So that, how that Christ died for our sins, historically Christ died theologically, for our sins, according to the Scriptures. What Scriptures? 
things that we've looked back there in the law, the Psalms and the Prophets. Number two, and that he was buried. So number two, that he was buried, that Christ died, that Christ was buried. Number three, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You know, all of that's here, that Christ died, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Oh, it points back to so many three days back here, the three days of Isaac and Abraham, the father and the sons, unified journey to a specified mount. Three days, as Jonah was three days and three nights. Three days. The number of the Godhead. Three days. Continue. And that he rose again, so you third that, so number one, that he died for, for our sins according to the Scriptures. Number two, that he was buried. And number three, that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And number four, and this is used a number of times, and that he was seen. And notice how many times that he was seen. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above 500 brethren uh, once, of whom the greater part remain under his presence, but some are fallen see. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen. So that he was seen, that he was seen, that he was seen, that he was seen of so many witnesses. That's the gospel. So what's Paul saying? Hey, the gospel historically, I'm not contradicting anything that's written here, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen. That's the Gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John present Christ crucified, Christ buried, Christ risen from the dead, Christ seen. That's the Gospel. Isn't that good news? All right, now, let's finish up. What about Paul's Gospel theologically? Okay, reading off our notes here as we sort of bring our time to a close. Paul's gospel theologically. And listen carefully to this statement because when Paul says, my gospel, my gospel, um, I think this will hopefully bring it together. Paul in his epistles is the greatest New Testament interpreter of the Christ of the gospels. And I don't know where I got this statement from or the gist of it. Paul is the theological interpreter of the historical Christ. That's the key to it. Paul is the theological interpreter of the historical Christ. I'll give you some illustrations in a moment. The four Gospels present the Christ after the flesh. Paul presents the Christ after the Spirit. The four Gospels write about the Christ of history. Paul writes about the Christ of theology. Let me give you a couple of illustrations not on your text before we finish. As I've, I've studied this over the years, so the Gospels present Christ historically and Paul presents Christ theologically. So, as I said, Paul is the theological interpreter of the historical Christ. Let me just take two or three examples. Now, in the Gospels, we have, um, we have the establishing of the Lord's table 
take this bread, this is my body, take this cup, this is my blood in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. That's all we have. But when Paul gets it, do you know what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11? I have received of the Lord that which I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, I didn't receive it of Paul, Peter, uh, Peter, James, and John, or any of the twelve, I have received of the Lord. And then Paul gives the theological understanding of the historical establishing of the table. So he says, you know, many are weak and sickly among you. Many die because you don't discern the Lord's body. And if you eat and drink unworthily, you're guilty of the body and blood of Christ. You don't get any of that in the Gospels. That's theology. The, The table is established there historically, but theologically it's interpreted by Paul. Take the take the issue of water baptism. You haven't got a clue what water baptism means in the Gospels. All the Gospels say is, go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. Make disciples of all nations. He that believes in is baptized and is saved. Book of Acts, baptize in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you haven't got a clue what baptism means. Not in the Gospels. Who gives it to us? Paul says, listen here. Galatians, Corinthians, uh, Ephesians, uh, you other churches. When you were baptized you were baptized into Christ. You were buried with him in baptism. You were raised with him in baptism. You were to walk in newness of life. Paul gives us the whole theology of water baptism. You don't get it in the Gospels. Take the issue of covenant. This is the new covenant in my blood. All they remember is, way back here, Jeremiah said, the days are coming, says the Lord. Well, I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Judah, the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant I made when I brought them out of Egypt, which covenant they break, but a new covenant. And the moment Jesus takes the bread and the cup and says to the apostles, the twelve, this is the new covenant. Oh, a new covenant. Well, we've had the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant, da-da-da, these other covenants, but the new covenant, they don't understand it. Not even in the book of Acts. And Paul comes along and says, hey, I've got some covenantal revelation. Know the truth. It'll set you free. And when we get into Galatians on covenantal, coming out of covenantal confusion, say, wow, thank you, Paul, for that. And so you can go through a number of things in the gospel. You go to the gospels, make this the last one, when Jesus is dying on the cross, All we have is the Christ after the flesh, and I'm not in any way belittling this, the the stripes that he received, the crown of thorns, and the physical suffering of the Christ. But we haven't got a clue beyond that. And the disciples look on Jesus naturally, sentimentally, weep, but they don't understand the mystery of what's happening on the cross, not in the Gospels. But Paul says, hey, Colossians, let me tell you something about it. In fact, go through the cross in Paul's epistles. He says, when Jesus hung on the cross, do you know what he did? He fought with principalities and powers, and he conquered Satan and triumphed over principalities and powers and wicked spirits in the cross. Hallelujah. And Paul gives us a theology of the historical crucifixion. How many understand? So when Paul says, my gospel, my gospel, he's jealous over that. And so, Paul is saying to the Galatian church, hey, don't let these guys bewitch you and try to put you back under the old covenant. You're a new covenant believer and the truth sets you free.
as spiritual sacrifices, circumcision is of the heart. I write the commandments not on tables of stone, but in your mind and in your heart. Uh, We're not interested in material temples. You are the temple of the living God. We're not interested in animal sacrifices. We've got the sacrifice of Jesus and spiritual sacrifice. We're not interested in incense. Incense is the prayers of the saints. We don't find Sabbath just in a day. Sabbath is in a person. Come unto me and I will give you rest. Rest is in a person not just a day, though you must have a day of us. We're not interested in the earthly Jerusalem because when he gets to the Galatian allegory, he says, Jerusalem, which now is, is in bondage with the children, but Jerusalem, which is above. Get your eyes off all these old mosaic covenant things. Come to the cross. Know the truth that sets you free. Everybody said amen. I think you've had enough for tonight. Have you understood these things? God bless you. Come back next week for the exciting episode. We hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Visit kevinconnor.org for more information. God bless.